Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Amber Negum, CEO and co-founder at Basis.ai. Amber, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ben. Well, great to have you here. Let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. Of course. So I am, like you mentioned, the co-founder and CEO of Basis. And before starting the company, I had 12 years of experience. I had a bachelor's degree in computer science, worked as a data scientist for the next five years, realized this is something that I like, but at the same time, I wanted more autonomy. So I started a company called KBuyThoughts.ai, which was AccuHire. Joined the company that AccuHire does, realized that I, again, wanted to do something more autonomous. So I started another company, which is Basis, and I met my co-founder almost three years ago. Since then, we've been working together. I currently lead fundraising, sales, and strategy for the company. So if I have to kind of summarize my career, first five, six years were on computer science and data science. I filed three patents, had published multiple research papers in some of the top conferences and journals. And then for the last five years, I have been focusing on selling something that I like building. So that's that's my experience. I briefly also instructed a course at MIT, and that course was Collaborative Data Science for Healthcare. I love that. I love that. So started a bachelor in computer science, you know, worked for a while, Aqua hired. Well, you started a company that was that was acquired, then started a new company now called Basis. So love, love that transition. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about Basis. What products and services does Basis offer? Absolutely. So Basis is a prior authorization company and we work with insurance companies, which are also called health plans or peers. And we sell prior authorization services to them. We use generative AI to automate this the, the problem of prior authorization uh, or the process of prior authorization. Typically, that process used to be done on phone calls and faxes. We have made sure that the phone calls and faxes are no longer required as we use APIs and, and the SaaS that we have built. It's a platform. And this is one of the services that we offer. The other one that we also offer for for insurance companies is called utilization management. And I know prior authorization and utilization management seem seem like jargons and they are very health tech specific. So I'll probably explain in, in a nutshell what prior authorization and utilization management are. Prior authorization is a process when a doctor sees a patient, they have to take approval of insurance companies before reimbursing uh, for a drug or even a surgery. So that is what prior authorization is. Utilization management on the other side is a way of defining the guardrails on how the doctors are reimbursed by insurance companies. So these these are the two concepts that we are working on. Okay. Yeah, because I know I started my first software experience was in healthcare tech. And I know oh. the business of healthcare can get pretty complicated behind the scenes with all the different jargon and, and different setups. But so, right. So prior authorization is one product, then utilization management. And again, prior auth, you see a... You go into your doctor and they want to perform some procedure on you. So then you've got to get that prior authorization from your insurance company just to make sure that it's covered and it'll be paid out. Sound about right? Absolutely, it does. And then <laughs> tell us, yeah, get a little bit more about utilization management. So you said guardrails around reimbursement. So tell, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So utilization management, like the name suggests, it's about utilization of the services that are offered by healthcare industry. And, and typically those services are in terms of surgeries that doctors perform in, in a very layperson way, or sometimes it's also about providing certain medications. 
So insurance companies are supposed to have some sort of rules and guidelines of approving these medications because a lot of times there might be redundancy in the request and because of which it might, because of which the prices are raised for not just insurance companies or, or individual patients, but overall healthcare prices are raised as well. To give you a sense of how the prices rise, so health insurance companies are not just private. They are public as well. For example, Medicare and Medicaid is an example of that, which essentially takes the money from the insurance from, from the people who pay taxes. So essentially you need to provide a way through which you're guarding how the cost or reimbursement is happening between payers and providers. That's what utilization management mm -hmm. is about. And how it is typically done is payers or insurance companies, they have policies for each drug, disease, and, and those policies are sometimes nuanced based on whichever insurance company you're talking about. They have those individualized policies. There has been a lot of debate about how this should be done or how it can sometimes severely impact patient outcomes as well. So it's it's not a waste, I would say, tool or even a product. It's it's kind of nuanced and it's it depends on the patient. It depends on um, their conditions, sometimes their comorbidities. So the payer policies or insurance companies' policies have to account for all of those things. And technology can really help in expediting this process. And it can also help in personalizing these guidelines to, to the patients or the members. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for that explanation. And thinking about prior authorization, you said before, or even today, phone calls, faxes, getting authorization before you go in for a procedure, for example. And now you said using APIs and of course SaaS and, and technology to improve that. So how if I, how would that look today if I went in to my doctor and I need a procedure? Is it just then submitted through some, you know, their EMR or some platform to then get that authorization? Tell me how how that works now. Absolutely. So almost 80% of the prior authorization that happens right now is done using phone calls and faxes. So when you go to a doctor, the doctor or their clinical staff will essentially submit a, a paper or submit some sort of a documentation that they will prepare based on whatever conditions you might have and, and whatever requirements you might have. It might be surgery or a medication like I spoke about, and they'll have to get on a phone call with the insurance company of, of the member of the patient and describe, like, this is what they have just faxed. Is there something that is required otherwise as well? Insurance companies will take a couple of days to reply which as a process takes a couple of days, sometimes a couple of weeks, sh should have happened in a couple of seconds or maybe a couple of minutes if everything was automated. This is where we come in and this is what we do. Okay, okay, yeah, I love, yeah, if you can speed that up and make that more efficient, that's great. So appreciate that. And so what year did you found Basis? We founded Basis in 2022. Okay, last 2022. Year. All right, last year. And then do you have a headquarters location? Yeah, we are, we are headquartered in Boston. Okay. So HQ in Boston. And then what's your current team size? So we're current 17 people, but at the same time, we have certain other contractors and, and part-time people as well who are working with us. And in total, I would say we have 12 people as of now. Okay. Okay, great. And then anything you want to share around your, your revenue or AR range? Yeah, so we did start working uh, with the provider and we had revenue in a couple of hundred thousand dollars. But going forward, we are selling to the peers. 
and we are we have just negotiated something with the bear and expected to have a revised ARR soon. Okay. Okay. Great. And then tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion. Obviously, yeah. there are I guess, only so many payers and insurance companies out there. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion. I assume there are only so many insurance companies, only so many payers. So you do know, like, hey, here are the 20 or 30, and we just got to call them up and find the right people to sell to? So it's a, I would say it's a bunch of uh, strategies, depending on which pair we are reaching out to. For example, it started our go-to-market with the regional plans or the regional pairs or regional insurance companies because we wanted to prove some things in a, in a more sandboxed way, which can be scaled later. So we reached out to all the bears and the founders and some of the advisors that we have. They had some sort of connection with, with some of the peers, and that's how we started. But going forward, I see this process maturing into a more, I would say, there, there will be some sort of sales component as well. We will need to hire someone in business development. Right now, I'm the one who is the only salesperson or, or in, in the business development. But going forward, do see a significant portion of team being hired on business development side. We have a perspective, however, on who we reach out to and, and how exactly the go-to-market works. So essentially, the, the person who decides on whether they require prior authorization or, or what kind of vendors they require is typically the chief medical officer. And sometimes, depending on the pair, it, it might also be director of utilization management. And of course, CEO and CFOs are involved as well when it's about paying anything to the vendors. So that's that's how the typical go-to-market for us looks like. But at the same time, it's it's a very macro perspective. And when we have to sell into a health plan, it takes convincing a couple of teams. So it's even though it starts with CEOs and CMOs and director of utilization management, we do have to go through certain other teams as well because we have to take buy-ins from sometimes clinical innovation team or sometimes with someone working directly on prior authorization on, on the RX side or sometimes on the surgery side as well. Okay. So I'm guessing it's a bit of a longer sales cycle then? Typically, it's, it is uh, a six to nine month sales cycle, but we have figured out a few ways and strategy of reducing, compressing the sales cycle. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah, anything to push that down. And yeah, recently... one thing that I would... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. One thing that I would... I'm sorry for interjecting, but I would quickly say is if you reach out directly to the right people, rather than finding your way to the top, sometimes that helps as well. Like having the CMO's buy-in or, or the CEO's introduction is definitely one thing which expedites the process. And, and the teams are aligned and channeled in, in a much better way. Okay. Yeah, no, appreciate that insight. Anything that helps with that sales cycle. And so you recently raised some capital. How much capital have you raised to date? Yeah, we have... Recently raised $2.4 million. Overall, we have somewhere around $2.7 million that we have raised so far from investors like Nina Capital, Lily Ventures, Asset Management Ventures, Czech Ventures, Tool Entrance Ventures, North South Ventures, and Celtic House Asia Partners as well. So a lot of investors I know for, for a smaller round. But we are ex absolutely lucky uh, and fortunate, I would say, to be raising in this macro environment and to have the support of such amazing giant venture capital companies. So it's, it's been, it's been an interesting process. Yeah. So you had that 2.4 million pre-seed round 
And then also I saw, is it right, that Eli Lilly and Mayo also on the investor list? Oh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I actually missed Mayo Clinic. Uh, Eli Lilly invested in us through their uh, investment arm called Lilly Ventures. And Mayo Clinic invested in us as well. So that's really interesting, just like you see, say, Microsoft with their venture funds. And so say, is it the same thing with healthcare organizations where they're also investing capital into the healthcare system, I guess, ultimately to improve the overall outcome? Absolutely. In fact, what I would say is the tech companies have typically, I would not use the term failed, but have not succeeded as well in understanding healthcare or improving actual healthcare outcomes. So we are seeing investors like Eli Lilly and even Mayo Clinic who are investing in the tech startups because they understand a lot of the work that is being done right now will essentially end up improving healthcare for everyone. So when Eli Lilly or even Mayo Clinic invested in us, they absolutely like the part that we are a transparent platform and, and we want to and we are also a neutral platform. It's not like we are just here for saving one uh, stakeholder money. Essentially, what we are here for is to make sure the patients get whatever they need in the right time and they have to pay the minimum. So they were excited about the vision of the company, which was very patient-centric and, and member-centric. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for expanding on that. And then with that 2.4 million pre-seed round, what triggers or milestones led you to that raise? Yeah, one big component that actually triggered this round was our access to 10 million patient data from Mayo Clinic and what we were able to do with that. So we used multiple technologies like generative AI, deep learning to understand how patients typically progress from one disease stage to the other and how their prior authorization can be approved in a more nuanced way. By taking into account this data, we were able to build a prior authorization triage engine, which essentially is able to get integrated with the payers almost nine months faster than any of our competitors. Our accuracy is also much higher than any of our competitors in terms of getting certain prior authorization approved. So that was uh, one big trigger, I would say. Okay. No, appreciate that. And any lessons learned in that 2.4 million pre-seed raise, you know, looking at, you know, you're raising from BC, raising from these large healthcare organizations, anything that you look back on and, and uh, as far as what you learned from that process? Wow. Many lessons learned. Let me, let me prioritize those lessons though. I, I would say the most important lesson that we learned was to kind of, was, was related to the current macro environment. I think it would be a very different raise. I have raised previously as well. But given just the macro that it, it is right now, it was definitely a lot of conversations, like with the same VC sometimes, answering a lot of questions and, and just ready with ready to face the grind was, was one thing that we felt, particularly in this macro environment. The other thing that we also realized was healthcare is very nuanced. And when you are coming from a tech background, uh, I had a tech background, you need to appreciate uh, the, the base of healthcare. Um, sometimes it won't be matching your prior experiences. Sometimes it will be very slow, but you also need to understand that healthcare organizations also have a mandate to do right with the patients. And you cannot be in a make things, break things uh, sort of mindset. So that was another thing that we learned, although we already knew what we were getting into, but this was 
particularly cemented as we had discussions with with like especially bigger VCs uh, who appreciated this fact even more. And the final thing I would also say is just staying on top of what your business model is, kind of tying it up with the product that you have, building a great narrative on how your product is actually 10x. Even if sometimes you're, you have a 10x product, but if you're not able to make that selling argument, it, it actually does not count. That's, that's the harsh and brutal nature of raising money. So I, I think there were a bunch of really interesting learnings like these. Yeah, appreciate that. And and I want to dive into your point too here about appreciating the pace of the industry that you're going after, in this case, healthcare. And then also, I thought really interesting, you said healthcare organizations have a mandate to do right with patients. So it sounds like they just can't take your technology or someone else's like, hey, we'll experiment with this. Maybe it doesn't work or maybe it works. And I've had similar conversations with founders going after e-commerce and big brands where it has to be proven. It can't just be an experiment and not work. So is that kind of that same concept where they want to make sure this is proven out? If they put this into practice, it, it's going to do what it, it says you're, that it's going to do? I would say so, pretty much. In fact, every investor that we spoke with, at least who ended up committing something in the round, they had us like demo our product. And they had someone technical from their team understand what we are doing. Most of the times they were doctors. So we were pretty, I would say, validated or vetted in, in this process. That was one thing. And the other thing that I mentioned about the pace of healthcare was not to say that healthcare or health tech startups cannot have like a five-year to seven-year to IPO time horizon. It's, it's, it is difficult, of course. But at the same time, once you understand what the customers need or what even investors typically want, you can align technology in a way and, and you can define certain processes in a low-risk settings in such a way that you can expedite this process. And, and you can even increase or, or rather decrease your like GTM, go-to-market deck that you mentioned, by defining these steps well. So it's, it is a meticulous combination of understanding how technology works, also kind of trying to understand how doctors typically work or, or insurance companies typically work or other clinicians typically work and using and aligning those resources like technology to work in your favor. And, and then you can oh. have similar time horizons. Yeah, appreciate, I appreciate that insight. That's yeah, really interesting. And the neighbor, at your scale size of the business right now, do you have a favorite number or metric that you're focused on to manage the business? Yeah, uh, I mean, there are a couple of uh, metrics that we are focused on. One of the very important metrics is uh, saving short-term costs for insurance companies and, and why insurance companies also for for the members or the patients. And that is the key uh, metric that we have. The other few metrics that we also have uh, are time to approval for any drug or surgery and then the accuracy of our prior authorization engine and, and the number of times we were able to resolve prior authorization query without involving any any human. So reducing administrative burden is is another key metric for us. So Amber, as we wrap up here, what's do you have a favorite number or metric that you're focused on to scale your business? We do. So first of all, it's of course the ARR, annual recurring revenue, is something that we are focused on. Of course, we are also focused on getting as many insurance companies or pairs as we can. But we are going for three pairs to begin with in, in the first year. And, and potentially on the higher side, we can go for five pairs especially given the contract size for us might be really high. 
given we are a very specialized and, and high-tech product. Um, if, if I happen to talk about other metrics, which are more specific to the customers, it includes saving them short-term cost, which is not just for insurance companies, but directly or indirectly also for the members or the patients. The other metrics that we also have include the ac accuracy of our platform, the number of hours that we reduce for the, the clinical staff who is working on prior authorization and, and the number of or the percentage of requests that we are able to automate that does not require any human intervention. Okay, I love that because, yeah, a mix of operational metrics plus, of course, financial metrics. So really appreciate the insight, Amber. And as we wrap up here, what's coming up next for Basis that's new and exciting? So we are soon um, starting a pilot, actually two pilots with health plans. That is That is quite exciting. We have been having discussions with them for the past couple of months. And, and finally, that we have raised this money. We are fully focused on, on the business. Our product is fully ready, ready to be deployed. So that's, that's what next for us. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. So Amber, appreciate your time today, sharing your insight. If listeners would like to learn more about your company, where should we send them online? Yeah, they can actually send me a personal message on my email address, which is amber at basis.ai, which is A-M-B. E R at B A S Y S dot AI, or they can also visit our website, which is basis.ai. Uh, Perfect. Well, I love that. So if you'd like to learn more about what Amber's doing, check out basis.ai or just email them directly at amber at basis.ai. And again, Amber, really appreciate your time today and sharing your experience and insights. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. It was a pleasure.